Hello, everybody. I'm John Murphy here with another edition of On the Home Front Today. You can see, obviously, we have a very full studio today, and this is a special program. You know, we've had this program for a while now. It's on WILI AM 1400 and Digital FM 95.3. It's also video recorded right now with our cameras, and we post it on the radio station's YouTube channel, WILI Radio. So if you missed a live broadcast today, it's always available, and you can always subscribe, and we'll keep you up to date. And the reason why we're doing this is to give our guests more exposure, to use our local show as a way to help you communicate to the community for all kinds of purposes that will help you with your mission and your work and your service. And what we're going to do today, which is very special for me, is we're going to launch a series of conversations in the next year about local journalism, which you all know is a very troubled thing. And we have three different kinds of journalism in the house today, and I'm very happy to have a wonderful panel to share the whole show with you. One is from a daily print, one is from an online paper, and one is from a monthly regional magazine newspaper, uh, a tab, I guess. Or a, no, it's a semi-tab, semi-tab. Uh, but these are three different kinds of journalism. So what we're going to do to open the show is just let you know who's here with me today. We'll briefly talk about how things are for their businesses right now in 2023. And then we're going to look at different challenges that journalism has today and how they're dealing with it in their different papers. So as you're watching to my immediate right, I'm very happy to have back in the studio Tom King. He's the publisher of Neighbors. They've been publishing since the early 80s, and they've been publishing on a regular basis since uh, uh, around uh, 2003. So this is Tom's 20th year. So Tom, thanks for coming back today and for being here today. Thank you for inviting me, John. Also, for her first visit today, I'm, hoping to, I'm very happy to have Karen Florin. She is the engagement editor at The Day. She's been working with the paper now since 1994. So, Karen, I'm very happy to have you here today. It's good to have The Day here as part of our conversation. My pleasure. Thank you for having us. And also, I'm very happy to have the online journalism world with us today with the Connecticut Mirror. Uh, the publisher is with us today, Bruce Bruce Putterman, and he's been with the paper now uh, six years, and I use the paper as a euphemism, actually, because I'm still a paper kind of guy, but I'm very happy to have you here, Bruce, as Thanks well. Thanks for having me. So maybe you could start us out, Bruce, as a nonprofit and online, this is a new manifestation of a historic function that people have, they need to know what's going on, or they need to know how to communicate and let people know what's going on, and you're in that world today. So maybe you could start us out and thank you again for being here. Sure. Um, so the Connecticut Mirror, for people who don't know, is, as you mentioned, is a nonprofit, uh, nonpartisan news organization. We cover public policy in Connecticut. And um, we were founded in the late 2000s, first published in January of 2010, so 13 years old next week, um, as a response to massive layoffs all around the country, including in Connecticut, mostly concentrated in state house news coverage, capital press corps. So there was still some level of national journalism. There was lots of, there was some level of local journalism, but journalism that was watching what was going on in Hartford was, was withering. And so the mirror was founded in response to that. Um, I know you wanted us to kind of start with what's a success or what's going well today. Right. Um, just as a starting point. Yeah. And what I would say is, so we, we've grown tremendously. We were, when we were founded 13 years ago, there were four people. When I started in 2017, there were um, nine of us. 
And today there are 20 of us full-time. Wow. Uh, we have six people who are uh, part-time employees and a couple of contributors. And, uh, you know, we're still a relatively small business. We were about a $1.4 million business in 2017 when I started. And in uh, 2022, we generated about $2.4 million in revenue. So we've grown nicely on, on that side as well. So that's a success. But the real success is the editorial product. Um, you know, we are filling an important void, I think, in the state. Um, the daily newspapers certainly have their role. We have the luxury of, and we can talk more about economic models and why we do have this luxury, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but we have the luxury of kind of being able to do a lot more in-depth advertising, kind of the, the why and the how of events that are going on in Connecticut. And just as a quick example of some of the accountability journalism we do, so on New Year's Day, we published a story about something called baby bonds. Yes. And the concept of a baby bond is that for people below a certain income level, um, when they have a baby, when a baby is born in the family, the state would put some relatively small amount of money into a fund that would grow. And then when that baby is 18 years old, that money would be available to them. So that, um, that legislation passed in 2021 and the governor signed it. And then one of our editors said to one of our reporters, several months ago, whatever happened with that baby bonds thing? You don't hear about it anymore. And we did this in-depth analysis. One or two people talked to us. Everything else was via emails that we FOI'd and learned that basically the, the governor's office had kind of slow walked the baby bonds thing. So that's the kind of, you know, when you think of accountability, a lot of people uh -huh. think about investigative, you know, people with their hands in the cookie jar or corruption or whatever. Yeah. But the other form of investigative journalism that we, or accountability journalism that we practice is following up on promises that government makes. And were those promises kept? Were they not kept? Were they partially kept? So that's what we do. And that that's a nice example, I think, of, of a um, recent success. And it's gotten a, uh, gotten a ton of, uh, in the last 11 days since it published, just, you know, a ton of response. Well, you hit the right story at the right time you know, with the right need to having that exposed because people maybe were in need, maybe they didn't know about it. So many times you don't know. And I know many times when we have service providers on the show, their biggest fear is being underutilized. Yeah. And that would mean, oh, maybe the people in charge don't think there's a need. They're not taking right. it. And that's an information vacuum, right? That could be deadly for people too. That's a great example. Right. So in the world of print, historic paper, an institution today, well, uh, the day has been publishing since 1881, uh, and we've um, been winning awards, I think, ever since then. And we cover all of southeastern Connecticut, uh, as well as issues that extend beyond that. Uh, I have to tell you, um, while we do publish every day and our print subscribers are super loyal um, and super engaged, we are moving toward a digital first environment where our website theday.com right. um, we publish everything first on there and we're able to offer uh, more than just news stories um, we have uh, multimedia content including podcasts video uh, and of course it's a it, our photo galleries are incredible we can't fit all our photos in the newspaper so you can go to our website sure. and see so much more than you uh, can see in print 
That's one of the wonderful trade-offs about the web or being online is the news hole is like, what's the news hole now? <laughs> if the content's justified and it's worthwhile, use it. If you need more time, use it. So that's where the story is served better, I think. And you know as an editor what, what needs the time and what doesn't. Not every story does, but having the option is nice. So in terms of recent successes, um, we're actually just putting together a special section, uh, a tab, um, on impact that we've had in the community uh, in 2022. And our award-winning columnist, David Collins, um, has really, uh, he's really hitting his stride even after many years in the business. He was awarded by both the um, Connecticut Foundation on Open Government and the Connecticut Commission on FOI for his work around the um, development of state peer corruption within the Connecticut Port Authority, um, where I m must also turn to Bruce and say the Mirror has done some excellent work also around this topic. Um, I think that that's a great segue into another um, topic that we can discuss is collaboration because we rely on uh, much of the Mirror's um, content to, to fill out um, and inform our readers. And um, we're also working more and more with community groups that we really have had arm's length relationships with in the past. Uh -huh. um, but you know, the day is your um, classic local and we've got it all. We've got sports, um, comics, uh, by the way, we just removed our TV listings, which caused a storm of fury. So we're thinking about a way, I mean, we want to give our readers what they want. So we're thinking about a way to do that in a, in a much um, perhaps less expensive way, but something wow. that will satisfy their um, need for that information. Raise the drawbridge. They're coming. <laughs> People have their, their favorites and their passion about they those do. things. But sometimes that's the reality check. Right, right. So, Tom, the reason why I have you here, besides having you as a friend, is that you are devoted regionally, in-depth, and you're monthly. So that's another whole format for storytelling and being timely. You know, breaking news doesn't work at all monthly. So how are things for neighbors and your unique model in 2023? If you made the adaptations from monthly, semi-monthly, color, things like that. Yeah, it's uh, it's been interesting. It's been a fun ride. Um, <clears throat> we have a thank God we have a large group of writers. They don't all write all, every month, which is a good is good in a way because I won't have enough pages to put put all their articles in. So, right. but we do have a core of maybe six, seventy, something like that writers who write every month, and a lot of them have their you know, their nose to the to the ground and, and about the environment and social issues, things like this. Um, and so we have a wide range of, of uh, writers, all volunteers, and uh, they made the paper what it is today. People, you know, people stop me on the street and say they love it, and yeah. uh, it's because of the writers. Uh, they, I just take what they send me and, and email me, and I just put in the paper, and boom, and there it is. And so once in a while, someone will say, "Oh, well, this is a very liberal publication." Well, it doesn't have any bent to it. It's just, I just take what's given to me and I put it in the paper. And back when uh, Donald Trump was in office, once in a while, I'd get a phone call from someone, and and I'd say, "Well, look, 
can you just put that you put your words into into print yeah, and you know, know or send me an email oh well yeah. i don't want to do that you know and, and so i got those people more liberal people are more willing to sit down and write their opinions and and send them off to me but um, so i just just take what's what comes into my my inbox and boom and it's in the paper and that's it well, every issue, you have many places where you remind people that contributions are encouraged. It's a community paper. Add to our dialogue. You you really solicit that. But, you know, whatever you do, people will want you to do it differently. Um, yeah. Now, the nice thing about the paper, too, is the online match. If somebody misses a physical copy, although I must say you're really devoted to distribution and hitting the roads. But if somebody misses a copy, every issue is in a big archive. Yeah. And if somebody wants to track food security or uh, local education. You can track issues over time and there's continuity of stories. With a daily paper can't really do that kind of work. It's a different environment. You can provide that depth for research. It's very valuable. Yeah, it, it's, we've been online for seven years now, mm -hmm. almost eight years, and, and yeah. people, uh, a lot of the writers, in fact, um, they tell people on the other side of the country, you know, that, you know, Go to the website, you can read my article. So it's it works out really well that way. Now, being advertiser-driven, when you're going out there trying to get support, apart from the issue of people's budgets being limited and the tight economy for them, do you find that they're interested in this kind of journalism and that they might like to do something because they're supporting your paper? Apart yeah. from their advertising <clears throat> benefit, I mean, to help you as a journalist. Right. Thankfully, I have uh, a good number of advertisers who feel that way. And then over the years, I've had a few that come and go who, you know, well, I didn't get, to get much response from that, so I'm pulling my hand, you know. Yeah. But uh, thank God I have a, a good number of people who just, boom, you know, send them an invoice every month or six months or every year, and boom, there's no, just send me a check and we're good. And uh, I need to go out and get more of those because it's getting yeah. tougher these days. Um, I'm sure Kara probably knows uh, the, the print, uh, everything in print has been really tough over the last 20 years, so... Um, I need to go out and pound the pavement is what I need to do. In fact, last month for the December issue, I, I did a lot of color, and I did I upgraded the paper, and I, <laughs> it was a good chunk of change, and I didn't have the advertising coverage. So I lost money last month, but I really liked the way the issue came out. Right. And so, and my wife loves it. <laughs> but, but, and so, uh, a true editor. And next, but and of course, this, this month, for we're, I, I also switched from going every month to... 10 issues a year. So I'm doing a January, February, and a July, August to give the writers a break, give me a break. And, um, but I did get a little bit of feedback about that because some people said, well, geez, you know, we really, but we'll see. We'll see how it goes this year. And maybe next year I'll go back to every month. But yeah, uh, yeah I need to really well go pound the pavement, find some new advertisers to, to make things a little better than they are. And, uh, but my costs are, inc are incredibly low. I work in a corner of my basement. Um, I have a printer I've had, I've known for 30 years in Rocky Hill, and uh, so it, it works. It's pretty stable that way. Yeah. Yeah. Homesteading is nice that way at the scale, right? It works. Yeah. It works. So, uh, in case you joined us on the radio, our topic today is journalism, and we have three guests with us in the studio. Tom King, the publisher of Neighbors. We have Karen Florin with us. She's the engagement editor at The Day from New London. And we have Bruce Putterman here. He's the publisher of The Connecticut Mirror. And we'll take a break in a few minutes, but I wanted to ask you something contemporary about people's increasing awareness of the role of journalism in protecting them from the government and from people who are not always well-intended. 
And I wonder, without getting into theatrical stuff, but the George Santos story that's breaking nationally is a wonderful example of a quiet, small local story that might have just died if there were proper people in charge. This guy tried to run for Congress, a lot of fraudulent false claims, absurd things. You wouldn't imagine somebody could write that kind of fiction, but he got elected. And it was over other candidates. And the reason why I bring it up now is not to bash George again, because he's getting that all, all the time. Yeah. But as a journalism story, this little North Shore Long Island paper broke a national story. Can you talk about that as a reminder that people are always looking under the rock everywhere? And it doesn't mean they're paranoid or cynical. It means they're doing their job. And that's my question. Can you share thoughts on that thing and how George is an example of that process that is happening all the time? Yeah, so, you know, I write a uh, monthly what I call publisher's report that ah. I send out, and I sent my monthly one out this past Sunday. Uh, we're recording this on January 11th, so I sent it out on January 8th, and George Santos was, was the topic. And the question that I posed was, would George Santos have evaded media scrutiny if he were running for Congress in Connecticut the way he evaded media scrutiny in, uh, on Long Island? And Queens, which is where his his district, the district he got elected to from, um, and you know, I, I there is a healthy journalism ecosystem in Connecticut, right? There's 17 or 18 daily newspapers still. There's four TV stations with newsrooms. Um, there's us. There's Connecticut Public. There's News Junkie. There's lots of hyper locals. So I I guess I would like to. Th think that a George Santos would have somehow been found out, at least at the congressional level, whether the daily newspapers and we and the others can vet candidates for 187 legislative seats, not to mention all of the local elections that take sure. place. That's another question. Um, so just in response to the first part of your question about are, are people kind of thankful that we're out there keeping watch Remembering how important it is. Yeah, I'm not sure that people are in general tremendously conscious of that or thinking about that. I, I do think that. Um, that's George. That's <laughs> there's George. Equal I admit opportunity. It. Hey, I was equal lying. Time. Equal time. I, I mentioned. Two times. Sorry about uh, that. It's okay. I, we'll I, edit that out. Don't worry. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I just I, I don't think people are conscious of it. I think they're grateful for it when it occurs. And you know, one of our, our, our one of our co-founders and our current you know political uh, what do we call him Capitol Bureau Chief Mark Pazniokas always reminds us and staff, we don't get judged on the stories that we don't do. We get judged on the stories that we do do. Um, and so, I think the reading, viewing, listening public kind of largely reacts the same way, other than the occasional. You know, how come you didn't include this in your article? And the answer, of course, always is you can't include every piece of background detail that you've already written about right. in any given story. Yeah. So uh, just based on some of the local work that we do, I, I do also think that we would have um, ferreted out George Santos. We do a lot of work around elections, um, but that's um, just the tip of the iceberg. We, uh, ha we closely follow every development in the towns that we cover. And just in the past year, there have been three, three major projects that were not the right projects for the people at the time. 
that our coverage helped put a halt to and, and bring some significant change. Um, one of them was an RV park, a massive RV, RV park in Preston. It was, there were issues with the environment, um, there were issues with the, the neighbors, and it um, is currently, I think, on hold or being uh, reworked um, on the basis of, our reporter kept coming back to us and saying, there was another four-hour meeting last night, and, and we sec secretly were going, oh, my God, she's a saint, you know. Well, people don't know what reporters go through to tell a story <laughs> right. truthfully and accurately. you got to stay to be accurate. You don't know. Yeah. You do. And then um, in, uh, in Groton, um, there's this Mystic Oral School project, uh, and it, the town had secured a deal with a developer only to find out that the developer was, um, he was a convicted felon, but I, I think there were problems beyond that um, and that, you know, his record was, was not good and, and so that deal was stopped. And then in Norwich, um, again, it's our, it's our uh, loyal reporter, Claire Bassett, they wanted to put in six roundabouts in a, you know, in a relatively short span of highway and uh, her reporting prompted uh, people to, to erect these signs that said, no roundabouts. And um, so the Department of Transportation has um, drawn back on that project and is also reworking that project. So uh, it's things that might not matter in, uh, in Hartford, but they certainly matter in Norwich and Groton. Uh, and that's what we really shine at. Yeah. Well, that's the last mile. This is where journalism comes home to your driveway, your backyard, your tax bill, however you impact your everyday life. In case you're joining us, too, the reason why we're doing this today is this is the first of a series that we're going to do throughout the year about journalism locally with different reporters, editors, publishers. There's lots of them out there, and we're trying to improve public connection to the communications that we have because one of the things I love about this work is you help a community communicate with itself. And journalism gives you a safe space, which is not sold for commercial purposes. It's not sold for a political thing, because some of the roots of newspapers in the 1800s, they were organs of political parties, and that's old history. But now we have a kind of journalism that requires balance and professional work. And that's why the local level is where everything comes home. Uh, people get lost following Washington in the scale the hardcores will always stay there, but the average person is like disconnected and they don't feel like, well, what does that mean for me? The local level is where they find out. Do you have any sense of uh, younger audiences or people that are in trouble in all kinds of ways realizing that part of their trouble is not being informed? There's help available they don't know about. A law was passed in their town that they didn't know about. And not every citizen gets to all these boring town meetings until they vote. And then money's spent. And then they find out, well, this, how could this happen, right? So I don't want to ramble on that. But this is the glue that keeps the stories coming all the time. And it's hard to put into words. It's more like the environment you're working in. Well, um, it's a perpetual challenge to engage young people in newspapers. Mm -hmm. And... Um, sports, of course, is one way that we get yeah. people in the door, sort of. Um, we have really strong sports coverage at the day, along with that um, game day 
live stream broadcast of high school sports that you high school is um, huge. You're familiar with with Peter Wappy's work on the game day, yep. uh, but now we're realizing this is not enough. Um, we are starting to work with. And sometimes what is old is new again, right? We're starting to work with some of the local schools to go in and talk to them about what we do and the importance of what we do and maybe interest them in, you know, becoming journalists or becoming ad reps or, you know, somehow getting involved in media. Well, what we'll do now, we're just about halfway through our program today. We're going to take a short break for a couple of messages, and we'll come right back. Stay with us. So I thought we'd shift a little bit. I want to talk about careers for people to prepare to work in the field, employment strategies, how people, mm -hmm. if they want to get involved, how can they, because uh, I work with young people like Peter, and we're always priming the pump saying these are going to be the future workers, a lot of them. And how can we prime the pump for them and get them juice for internships? And it's more of a push these days than it used to be. It seems to be more of a push to get them into internships. And, you know, and their senior year is kind of late. So if you think about, I don't know to what extent, you could talk about Peter's work with students because that's just a little model that people can understand. Do you do any of that in, in the online space at all? I mean, we have internships for college students, but, there they, you go. but they've got to be either in a journalism program or have demonstrated both interest and some level of competence in journalism through working on their college newspaper, okay. that kind of thing. That's fair enough. Yeah, we have the Lantern here, uh, which is still publishing. Mm -hmm. It's uh, now it's online right now because of printing issues. But that's an that's a point because we're hearing so many things about the. The big change is common skill sets. Can you speak well? Can you write well? Can you organize thoughts? That's universal now. Yeah, I mean, I think the greatest skill that I look for is like just insatiable burning curiosity and someone who's a learner, like who's yeah. a natural learner. Uh -huh. um, you can kind of teach writing, you can, you can kind of teach, but the curiosity and the attitude, that's unteachable. Yeah. You either have it or you develop it somehow on your own or how much time do we have, Matt? <clears throat> I know where I saw you. Pardon me? At the yeah. FOI, Two and at the, um, FOI thing. We were sitting at the same table. Okay, that's you were. I got there late, but you were sitting, I was sitting next to Chris Powell, and you were sitting on the other side of Chris. Oh, that's Chris right. Powell, yeah. That's right. I'm going to try to reach out to Chris. Uh, I didn't see you hanging on the young people. I just didn't know if there was a question. I didn't know what the question was, but. That's yeah. okay. I, so, it's sorry. A, it's a topic that we talk about all the time yeah. and actually I can t talk a lot about interns and okay. involving young people. Yeah, we'll talk about employment. The other question I want to ask real quick to see if we should even bother to go there is uh, one thing I've been trying to get funding for with Tom locally is content in Spanish. I'd love to have this show in Spanish because it's an absolute vacuum. Yeah. But the, the community needs it and it's not here. Are, can you talk about about thoughts of making connections to the audience? I don't, you know, I, I just want to use our time well. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm not the right person for that. I personally believe the, I just read a Pew study today on Latinos in Connecticut. Oh, really? And the number of people who speak Spanish only, and maybe it's different right in the immediate Willimantic area, I don't know. But the number of people who speak Spanish only who are also going to tune into something like the Connecticut Mirror, at least, I, I think is 
really low. Now we do translate a number. We just started this. We translate like a, our big story of the week every week into Spanish. Excellent. And we publish it in Spanish. We have CT Mir en Espanol. But it's I'm, a start. I'm not sure I have a lot of lessons to impart on you right. from that. Well, just the fact that you're exploring it is yeah. is newsworthy. Yeah, they're exploring, and you know, part of it is demand. Is there interest? Yeah. If they don't know, you're curious. Do they know? Then maybe. Right. Uh, so we're trying to look locally. There's a lot of student writers and Spanish groups here that have they struggle with their own networks and they poster. They have news. It just doesn't have a home. Mm-hmm. Except mm-hmm. in their informal, personal Facebook groups. Yeah, right. How are we doing? Uh, 45 seconds. Oh, 45. Okay. Like a change flat tire in 45 seconds. <laughs> in radio, you could. Minutes. Right. Oh, uh, yeah. It's like the old days when you uh, were disc jockeying and need to, needed to go to the bathroom. You'd put Stairway to Heaven on or something. So. Oh, yeah. Inagata de Vida. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> Did anybody ever set your copy on fire for you? You know, those tasteless things. Did anybody ever do that? No. Okay. It was exciting. No. <laughs> you know, they sit next to you in the booth when you're on, and they're just sitting there, and you're like, oh, okay, just sitting there all of a sudden, you know. It's 10 seconds. You know, when you're 19, it's different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Three, two, one. All righty, we're back live for the program today. We're very happy to have you with us on WILI AM 1400 or 95.3 Digital FM or on the YouTube channel the radio station has. Each weekday from 5 to 6, Monday to Friday, they have special local shows, and they're all available for you on YouTube. If you ever miss a live show, check us out each week. So we have two topic areas I want to explore while we have some time today. One of them has to do with work in the field and how people can prepare to work in journalism. And the other one has to do with our very large, diverse, and growing uh, Hispanic-Latino community across the state. In our region, it is especially dominant, and there's very little, if any, media for them. And we're going to talk about how media may be trying to reach out to make new connections. So uh, maybe what we'll start with, though, is employment and talking about how people can prepare to work in the field and internships for students. And if anybody watching us or listening has someone in their family who is going to school thinking about work, there's many ways to get involved, and maybe you could share some of those opportunities. So, Karen, maybe you could start? Sure, absolutely. So I am happy to report that uh, one of our best stories from the past year was reported by a 19-year-old college intern who uh, contacted us, pitched a story, worked for us in the summer. We were able to pay her, um, which in the past we sometimes weren't able to pay interns. And she turned out an incredible story, or a few stories, uh, on the issue of housing and health. Um, What she has, I think, and what people can do if they're interested. she doesn't, uh, she said when she came in, I like newsrooms, they're kind of old school, you know? Um, and, and we thought, I know, we're dinosaurs here. But um, she reveled in the experience of coming to our news meetings. Um, I sent her out multiple times to go back and knock on some doors. Uh, she did her research, she got her data, and she turned out incredible stories. So. Anybody with an interest in this, first of all, um, give us a call. Um, If you ever want to tour the day newsroom, if you ever want to attend a news meeting. um, But to prepare yourself, really, if you're interested in a career in journalism, um, read everything that you can. 
uh, obviously hone your writing skills. Um, learn how to listen because listening is really, I think, the most important skill. Um, and and be curious. I, I think Bruce might have something to say about, about that curiosity. Uh, so we have another intern starting in about a week. He's from Atlanta. Um, he also contacted us. He, he's got an incredible background already. So he reached out to you. He reached out to us. That's initiative. Um, yeah. And the second person that reached out to us. So, so don't be afraid to, to reach out to us and pitch us your ideas. Uh, and we just think that he's going to be able to help us reach that younger audience. So we're pretty excited to have him on board as well. Also working around the topic of housing. Yeah. And Bruce, being online... Uh, how does that work in terms of opportunities for people to participate either remotely or in other ways and not necessarily in a traditional sense? Does that affect anything? Um, it, doesn't, it doesn't affect the fundamentals of what you need to be a good journalist. Right. Um, so, yes, the writing, the reporting, the listening for sure, the burning curiosity, um, the willingness to open yourself up and learn from other senior reporters, from editors, whomever. Um, I guess the two things I would say is, you know, go work on your high school newspaper, even if you right. don't think you have a career, don't have career aspirations in journalism, you know, writing, listening, doing research, asking questions are skills that are useful in lots and lots of professions. Um, and then secondly, just develop clips write opinion pieces. So we have a, we have what we call a student voice section of the mirror. We have, we have a, we have an opinion page. Um, and I like to say it's the only really statewide opinion page because we have opinions submitted from all parts of the state, but we have a separately branded thing called student voice. And, um, we publish student, we have, we even have a part-time editor um, from Southeastern Connecticut who works with us to edit work to, to work with young people to make sure their opinion pieces are well-structured, well-written, you know, publishable in, in the Connecticut Mirror. So um, then I guess the only other thing I would say is we do, um, you know, you can get into journalism through the back door. You talk about digital, right? You can get in the back door through social media because social media, when done right, is its own form of journalistic content. And um, so that's another thing to explore. And then just linking back to the question before about young people. So, yeah. you know, we actually finally <laughs> have put some serious effort into Instagram, um, which is one way of reaching younger people. We even have uh -huh. a TikTok um, presence now to a limited degree. Um, you know, young people are using TikTok as their search engine, not Google. Um, yeah. So go where they are. Well, you know, I guess there's a really good and a bad side to that because uh, as, as liberating as social media can be for the individual to express themselves, there's no editorial restraint. There's no sense of balance over what you're saying. Uh, and if it looks the same as other content, it takes work for the reader to really be literate, to be able to separate a rant from a well-written piece and to learn how to not be paranoid, but to assess things more carefully and not just take it in as, it's, as, you know, as if it's all the same. Because that's where fake news came out. Social media is causing real damage today. People are bad actors and they're using it. And people sometimes struggle with what's to trust. 
Well, that's where branding comes in, right? A brand like the Day of New London or Neighbors or the Connecticut Mirror yeah. imputes, a, I think, a yeah. certain amount of trust. It's a, it's a, it's a filter for yeah. what's kind of, I, I like to think, you know, legitimate information that's gone through an editorial process versus somebody, you know, yeah. ranting or, or um, Some guy you know, otherwise just, yeah, yeah, stream of consciousness writing about stuff. But speaking of trust, you know, something else I wanted to share while we had some time today is our large Hispanic Latino community around the state and how you are trying to connect to this huge audience that has very little, if any, media, but, you know, beyond commercial entertainment music stuff. There's some of that. Uh, so how are you looking at these folks as, as partners in growth to help that community succeed with better information? So I'm happy to report that um, both our, our managing editor and one of our uh, assistant managing editors are, are Latino, and uh, it helps in terms of uh, communicating with that population. Sure. And one of our newest reporters, uh, her name's Joanna Vasquez, she is also Latino. Um, so that's a wonderful um, way to reflect the community. One third of the population of New London is uh, Spanish speaking. And we too have started to publish content in Spanish, um, particularly around issues that we think might, uh, you know, have, have use and appeal um, to those audiences. Uh, we also have started to try to reach out um, in our advertising even um, to more businesses, right? Because we want to reflect the community and we also see a business opportunity there. There's um, a lot of new businesses. We're, yeah, we're only tapping, um, you know, a certain demographic, but there's so much more opportunity. So I'm really pleased with the work that we've done around that. And we had a whole special section um, in our in the day in I think it was November um, on Hispanic Heritage Month, and the beauty and and diversity um, and variety of the topics that we covered was just incredible, and so it's uh, beneficial to the entire community to to broaden our horizons this way. Yeah, yeah. The more people are connected and a sense of unity, the better for all. Yeah. So for the mirror, you're doing a little bit of work with that. Now you're testing the waters to see what forms are you, are you looking into to, to add this expression? We, yeah, we did start uh, translating, publishing in Spanish. So we translate right. our, we publish like our big in-depth story of the week on Sunday morning. And so we try to uh, publish that in Spanish as well. Um, Staff diversity is another strategy um, that we have had some success with, particularly recently in the last year or so. Um, you know, we're starting to do, and you probably do this all the time, it's relatively new for us. As, as kind of a statewide policy paper, we're not as steeped in communities as perhaps a, a local daily might be. Um, but we are starting to try to do some community outreach to build relationships in communities to tell stories of you know, impact of state public policy in communities around the state. Um, I, 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 like you, um, we also have started, this wasn't a, um, this wasn't a 
Latino strategy specifically, but I think it has relevance, which is we've started publishing what we call explainers. So, you know, we do a lot of in-depth, long form, lots of information with sometimes critical how-to practical information buried or marbled through those longer form stories. And so we started doing explainers, which pull out kind of some of those, just the facts about a story, like what does the abortion safe harbor bill really mean? You know, like a five things kind of Like thing. big pull quotes. Well, kind of highlight information. Yeah, it's more like FAQs out. probably, okay. uh, frequently asked questions, right? right. And, you know, we, we did one on, um, you know, how do you get eligible, how do you become eligible for essential worker pandemic relief? Um, when we did our big eviction series a couple of weeks ago, we had a sidebar that um, was how, what to do if you get, a, if you're, uh, if you're served with a notice to quit, uh, an eviction notice, basically. So we also are doing the more practical things, and I think those have relevance to to all communities, um, but uh, including you know including Latino community. Yeah. Now, Tom, with neighbors being uh, monthly, you serve the same region, for example, as the Chronicle does. When you get submissions. How often do you hear from folks in the Hispanic community? Because you've been very open to having content in Spanish. I've tried to get some grant funding for the show that would give us a Spanish language version of this show and to get content in Spanish, and you're open to it. But are you hearing much from them, or is there not activity for you to support at this time? I'm not hearing too much, John, really. And, um, and while everyone's been talking, I've been thinking yeah. about how <clears throat> this might not be the right time to bring this up, but I kind of want to be a devil's advocate. If we only have so much time and so many and so many resources, um, are we almost doing the the Hispanic community a disservice by creating so many avenues of Spanish speaking information? When we, when, and, I, and this is not my th- belief or anything, but I'm just saying, yeah. just something to throw out there is that we really need to educate the Spanish, the Hispanic population in English and to be conversive in English and to be able to read and write in English. This is where we all live. And yes, it's great that we do, we write or we have programs in Spanish and everything, but with that, we, we have other. Um, populations also, you know, That's true. a lot of different uh, populations in our. And I know in Asher we have a large Hungarian population, sure. and and so um, I think it's great that we have a lot of programs and initiatives to create Spanish uh, program, uh, uh, television or radio or, right. or content. print content. Right. Um, but I think there needs to be an emphasis on uh, our Latino population to learn English as best they can. And that I hope by, if they get all these other resources in Spanish, they say, well, I don't need to learn English. I've got all this in Spanish. Hmm. And uh, So you think in a way, by being more powerful in English, you're empowering them to advocate for their own stories to reach a much larger audience. Yes. But I guess there's always the internal family dialogue that communities have within their own thing. You right. Chinese radio in New York City, for example, and they're hyper local because for some communities that's their survival. It's not entertainment at all. It's coping, immigration, health, food access in cities when there are food deserts. So then you get into if you don't talk to them where they are, how do they get out? 
So I don't want to proselytize here and get on the soapbox, but I'm just talking about this huge community that has information <clears throat> needs, and right now there's a vacuum for it. And sooner or later, whoever figures this out will have an opportunity. Uh, well, let me ask you this before we close. We have about seven minutes or so uh, to start our series today. And this is kind of, you both touched on this. It's like triage when you're trying to cover a huge area. If you had adequate resources, the stories would be endless, but you have to choose every day. You've got to prioritize what can wait, what has to happen now. How do people better understand the decisions when they figure out how well you cover things or not, when you could cover it all if you could? But you've got to be practical, right? So how does that triage come down? And I'm sure that's part of the best part of the job, though, is being able to make those calls. Pressure, though, they might be, right? So there's basic meat and potatoes that we think um, are community services that we have to cover. Um, you know, we have to follow education budgets, school right. budgets. We have to follow um, zoning issues. We have to follow uh, town affairs to some extent um, because that's what people look to us for. They really want to see um, their town right. in our publications and know what's going on. But we're lucky in that we're able to also cover uh, arts and entertainment and restaurants and food and have, mm -hmm. you know, a, a wide variety of appeal. Um, I don't know how many calls I took this week because somehow people didn't get their Sunday comics, you know. <laughs> I mean, it, yeah. was, it really was um, devastating for them. It's something that they look forward to every Sunday. So... Um, we cover the meat and potatoes, but we also want to do enterprise work going beyond, mm -hmm. um, you know, those those basic news stories. Some, some deeper stories. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, Bruce, you were talking about having a statewide focus. Sometimes you'll drill down locally, but you're looking at a different level of conversation. Uh, and I wonder how you kind of balance that between local and large or uh, small and large. Well, to the degree that we do local, it's really more to illustrate a point or tell a story about some statewide kind of policy, what, what, the, oh, yeah. what the implications are. So, you know, we don't have the resources to cover the whole state in terms of um, describing the impact of a policy everywhere. So, you, you know, you, you pick and choose right. a, a town. Um, I think the way we decide is we... We stay in our lane. We know what our mission is, what we're good at. We know what the dailies can do and don't have the resources to do. So that helps with the kind of triaging process. Um, to some degree, we have kind of an informal, is this a mirror story or is this not a mirror story? So that's also a little bit of a filter. Um, you know, is someone else doing it? Or if someone else isn't doing it, okay, maybe that is for us. Or if somebody else is doing it, but we think we can truly do it better, then we'll, we'll, we'll do that. But I think the bottom line is no news organization can cover everything they want to cover. And um, for the most part, for us, our reporters are really deeply knowledgeable about their beats, and we give them the autonomy largely to decide what to, what to pick and choose. Yeah. 
And I, and I wanted to mention, too, before we go, that uh, as a nonprofit, you have another unique economic function that's different than one that's developing a return for investors. Right. And, and I wondered, with some of your grant funding, uh, subscribers are the lifeline for the grant as well. And I just wondered how you're doing with that and how can our conversations help people as they become more aware of journalism that not only should they think about their local paper, but you want to go to the Times, the big paper is okay, but statewide is closer to your life. And I wondered how you thought about that. People should think about that more. And that's something that they can take for granted being online. And I think that would be a lost opportunity for them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I personally think state policy has more impact in a bigger way than either national or local policy. I mean, local policy is important, and I was on a local board of ed for 12 years, so I believe in the importance of local policy. Like for your town kind of thing. For my town, correct. Right. Um, so state policy is, um, you know, is critically important. Um, I'll just leave it there. I know we're short on time. You look like you want to add something there, Karen. Well, so um, I have to say that we have instituted what we call, we cannot offer our, our product for free, right? I think that a lot of us um, maybe made that mistake many years ago. I envy the Connecticut Mirror's business model, and, and maybe all of the news um, eventually will be, um, you know, nonprofit in that way. It, it almost seems like it could go that way. Um, but for now, we are a for-profit company. Um, we rely on advertising and um, increasingly on digital subscriptions. So uh, my my bosses would be upset with me if they didn't if I didn't give you um, the day.com slash subscriptions. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, if you wanted to uh, go there and take a look, we have uh, right now we have a discount for the very first time ever. So check that out. And then. Um, we also have started dabbling in some uh, fundraising and some community-funded and philanthropy-funded um, journalism. And if you want to take a look at that, um, it's housing solutions at the day.com. And then givebutter slash the day is the site where you can contribute. And it's been incredibly rewarding to, to get even a $5 contribution from somebody who says how very important the sure. work is that we're doing. So that thanks for that up. opportunity. Sure. Well, it's encouraging for me in this time when so many towns are losing papers, people are rethinking municipal support out west. I'm not sure if it was Oregon. I haven't done my homework on this to prepare. But there are models out there where local towns are saying, we can't afford to lose our paper. So they're modeling it through tax support. Mm -hmm. They're saying, well, we pay for our library. We pay for the roads. We're going to pay for the paper. And some communities are doing that. So that's an optimistic thing, I think. Uh, we have just a couple of minutes to go, and I want to give you all just a brief moment, a thought, what's the one thing that would make the next coming year better for your organization? Let's put money aside, which is great to have. Okay, hit the lotto, great. But apart from money, what's the one thing that would make the biggest difference to your missions right now? I can say, John, that yeah. I would, I would, we were talking about interns and stuff. I would like to see some more young writers and uh, get things in print and I've, I've contacted two local high schools and I've gotten no response so uh, okay. young writers uh, keep ringing the bell ring the bell okay thank you Tom so we're all about engagement um, and we really need to hear from our audience what they want from us 
Uh, we're not going to do everything, of obviously, that they would like, but um, the more input that we can have from readers, um, and by the way, tips at the day.com is one way um, to, to tell us, to give us information. But, you know, get into the conversation because some of the people who are currently involved in the conversation have been there for a very long time, and, and we know, um, you, know, you know, we know it's pretty predictable what some of our, uh, our commenters are going to say on stories and how they're going to speak back and forth with each other. And, and we know where they stand, but we want new voices um, to come into our, into our business. Thank you. And Bruce, your thoughts? Well, while we're plugging, uh, tips at ctmirror.org, if you have, uh, if you know of any great story ideas or any embezzlement going on in, uh, in a state-regulated, state-funded, or state <laughs> organization agency, um, and ctmirror.org slash donate. Um, the revenue model, I mean, it's successful right now. The question is, do we make the leap into ultimately becoming accepted as a kind of a public good the way performing arts have become. That's right. right. Um, there's lots of charitable causes that we, you know, remember the ALS bucket challenge or ice bucket challenge thing, that kind of came and went. And so the challenge for us as a nonprofit sector, and there are 400 or so nonprofit news organizations in the country, not including public media like Connecticut Public Radio or WSHU, um, so the challenge for us is to, you know, kind of embed ourselves in people's minds as an essential public good. In terms of um, what re what we really hope happens this year, audience engagement is certainly important, but we've kind of grown so fast in the last three years that our two editors are like constantly treading water. So we need to hire a third editor, which will free up some capacity to do some of that community engagement right. um, and to do just a number of other initiatives that were that have been on the wish list for a little while that we'd like to be able to get to. Well, I want to thank all of you for taking the time to be here today and for all the work you do throughout the year. We'll look forward to continuing these conversations in the future. I also want to mention to Tom King, neighborspaper.com. It has the current issue on the home page with a full archive, neighborspaper.com. Our time is over for the week. Thank you very much for sharing your time with us. We'll see you next time. Take care.